The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. Thank you for being with us Wednesday night service at Mile High Church. And this is a time to remember that uh, wherever you are, however you are, um, love is who you are. This is a midweek reminder for all of us to get back to center, remember our truth, and live it more emphatically uh, tonight and tomorrow. I'm so grateful that the amazing, incredible, beautiful Linda Rangel is here, and uh, Barry Ebert's here too, by the way. No, he's beautiful and immaculate himself, but we have a wonderful message from Reverend Linda tonight, and it's always good to see you, Dr. Barry. And uh, part of Linda's message tonight, I know it's just about um, stories we tell ourselves uh, along the way of life. And, you know, one of the things that I love about our spiritual teaching is it's uh, inclusive of so many different uh, philosophies and ideas. And sitting with two people I love here tonight, I thought I'd ask you both, you know, when it comes to our teachings, what's the teaching that still lights you on fire, that you love the most, that you live by? And after that, I want to ask you, what's the one that, that still troubles you or challenges you? And I'll go ahead and ask you uh, first, Linda. I think the one that lights me on fire is the practice of meditation. And I don't just need like a midweek boost. I need many boosts throughout the day. So one practice I have is to set my Fitbit with six alarms every day. And every time a little alarm goes off, I go within. And I just get in touch with that core, essential, bright brilliance of me, which is spirit. And so I find I do better if I do it over and over in little bits during the day than an hour in the morning or an hour at night. I just like to touch in frequently. Yeah, beautifully done and said and and felt for all of us uh, experiencing that tonight too. And for me, it is spiritual practice. That's what I love most about our our faith is that each of us is individually responsible, uh, we might say, for our own God or our own experience of life and spiritual practice, whether it's meditation or working in your garden, anything that you do in awareness of the sacred kind of opens that container in which we experience uh, what's true about life. And a lot of other religions, they you know point to, uh, you got to experience it this way, or you got to get through to God through me. But you know, for me, this is a teaching that says through doing our own work and our own consciousness, uh, that's how we really... Um, pick the fruits of life and taste them as well. How about for you, Dr. Barry? Well, the thing I like uh, about the teaching I've been attracted to since the beginning is the concept of the creative process, that I'm creating with uh, spirit, with um, uh, the creator of all things, that I'm a part of that, and I get to be connected with that and to, um, uh, to, just, to just use my mind and my heart to move in the direction that I want to go. And... Uh, um, you know, I love that quote about when uh, when we decide, providence moves too. When we commit, providence moves too. And I really, I really believe that that uh, we do have the opportunity to create in our lives. And um, uh, you know, when things when things get dark or feel like they're closing in, I really like to turn to that in my meditations. What did, what is it that I want to create? What is it that I want to experience? And to bring my attention to that. That's a part of our teaching that I really love. Yeah, I remember one of my, my first encounters with a religious scientist. They said, well, what are you creating for yourself, Josh? And I said, what the hell are you talking about? But it it, uh, it, it forces you to think that, that 
everything that we're doing, uh, no matter what the conditions are around us, are are impacting that. And you know, I've always lived somewhat by a, a quote, or try to live from Louisa May Alcott in her book Little Woman, where she says, "There in the sky are my highest hopes and aspirations. I may never reach them, but I will always follow where they lead." And it's been a good message for me that I can co-create. But there's also something beautiful in just the following of virtue of life and how it can show up for us. Uh, what for you, Barry, is the most challenging of our spiritual teachings? Um, well, I think um, the concept of turning from conditions, right? Um, it, you know, it took me a while to really understand that because it seemed to me that being around here and being around this teaching that a lot of people were denying their conditions uh, and um, not being realistic about their conditions. And so... Uh, it took me a while to get uh, what I call the most important thing was the comma. And Ernest Holmes' teaching was, in treatment, comma, we turn from the conditions. And I think our spiritual practice, our uh, affirmative prayer is when we turn from the conditions. But we still have to live in the world and uh, address the situation that we're in honestly and authentically. And I think affirmative prayer is our tool to uh, change our thinking. But uh, I think that's the thing that I struggled with for a while until I got my head around that. Yeah, I think we've, we've learned that uh, unless a hurt is acknowledged or a wrong is acknowledged, that sometimes we can't transform it. And, and prayer, you know, yes, it's a ritual, but it's also this, this aspect of getting more of a panoramic view so that I can say, uh, I have my problem or I have my issue instead of saying that it has me and is running my life. And, I, and I've seen that, and I've done that myself, been in denial uh, about a problem or an issue uh, to a degree that it almost got this life of its own. And uh, I'm kind of living in, in, in kind of a fantasy land or even in greater hurt trying to resist or deny it. So it's, it's interesting that balance between being pragmatic and being real and yet uh, also knowing that higher, higher truth and find that balance. How, do you, how, how have you figured out holding that balance for you, Barry? Uh, I'm still working on it, but I'm starting to see signs of improvement. But I think the main thing is of, of being um, true to my practice, um, kind of what Linda was talking about. You, uh, just being consistent with that and and uh, taking that time to drop in and to um, connect with that deeper, deeper truth about myself. And, and uh, uh, amid all the different things, all the different changes, I can count on that. And the more committed I am to that practice, the more I can stay in balance with, uh, uh, you know, that thing about being in the world but not of the world, that there's a higher truth that's unfolding through me. And the only way, if there was a way other than meditation, we'd be teaching it. But I don't think there is. I think you, you, have, to, you have to meditate. I think that's it. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there's something to say in life, you know, I think sometimes we tell ourselves this story that you can only feel one feeling at a time. You know, I can be really sad about this, but can't you also be happy about something else? Can I be really angry and loving at the same time? You know, I think it was Whitman who said, so I contradict myself. I contain multitudes, you know, and we don't have to go that far with it. But the idea is, is that you can both be in your life, feel the hurts, the frustrations, and yet carry this higher truth that we reach through spiritual practice uh, that, that makes a huge difference. It's made, made a huge difference in my life. What's the most challenging idea for you, Linda? I think it's that Pollyanna saying we sometimes hear that goes, well, it's all good. 
And I don't know, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. It is definitely all God. It is that one power, one presence, one spirit, one energy that runs through everything. But that energy can take many forms. Um, It can take the form of a gentle breeze, or it can be a hurricane. You know, it can be a nice wave on the ocean, or it can be a tsunami. Well, that's not all good. Uh, sometimes it takes another form and we need to look at that condition for for what it is and then put that comma in there and deal with what comes after the comma yeah Yeah. there's an episode of the Sopranos where Tony Soprano is sitting on the psychiatrist's couch and he goes I get it I get it every day is a gift but does it have to be a pair of socks Uh, and uh, (laughs) that recognition can help us and for me it's still challenging although um, I get these truths um, to any explanation that we give why bad things happen to good people, you know, and uh, we, we can have that tendency in our own tradition. And I know sometimes when something's negative is happening in my life, it's because of something that's in my own consciousness, but I will never point at someone and say, you know, you brought that about. Uh, and, you know, watching, you know, some of the most powerful people I know are people who have transitioned because of a diagnosis or who have had to surrender uh, a relationship that they love so much. And I hate seeing them have a sense of failure when and really, I think all that God asks of us is that we hold true to our virtues, uh, be willing to live in the, in the mystery and practice those uh, no matter what. So the idea that uh, a negative experience is somehow a failure on our part is, is, is the one thing that, um, that doesn't work for me. And it never, it never has. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else to add tonight? I think I'm good. We're glad you're here. Rockies are hanging in there. All right. Well, we hope they stay well. We hope we all stay well. It's so good to see everybody. We're so grateful for the music of Jennifer Burnett and Rob Lowe tonight. And let's hear from them again. Just beautiful. How do you explain? How do you make sense of life when things aren't going quite as you'd planned? Like this pandemic. It just keeps going on and on, or the bank account that gets smaller and smaller, or even my joints ache. Sometimes in situations like that, people will attempt to explain it away by saying, well, it's all part of God's plan. That is one of my least favorite sayings, and perhaps this story will explain to you why. In 2015, at the age of 35, Kate Bowler was living her dream life. We have a slide of her, and she's with her husband, the love of her life, her high school sweetheart, and her little boy, one-year-old named Zach. She was living, as I said, her dream life. She even adored her job teaching at Duke University. She was in the School of Christian Theology, There was just one thing not going well. She was having stomach aches, lots of stomach aches. She went in for tests and scans and the diagnosis came back. She had stage four abdominal cancer. The only response she could even muster was, but I have a son. Well, these last five years have brought more pain and anguish to Kate than she ever thought possible. 
She's had so many abdominal surgeries. She's on her fifth belly button, and this one is her least favorite one. She and I are email pen pals, and maybe you saw her last year on the Today Show. Well, at one point when she went in for that fifth grueling and extensive surgery, a friend came to the hospital to sit with her husband in the surgical waiting room. And over the course of that visit, the friend spoke these words, Well, Tabor, it's all part of God's plan. And he lost it. He said, Oh, so you know God's plan? I wish I knew God's plan. I wish I knew how my wife's continued pain and suffering fit into a plan. The friend fell silent. And this is what Kate said recently about that time in her life. She said, Strangely, when I was sure I was going to die, I didn't feel angry. I felt loved. In a time in which I should have felt abandoned by God, I felt instead like I was floating, floating on the love and the prayers of all of those who hummed around me, bringing me notes and socks and quilts. And when they sat beside me, my hand in their hand, it felt like my own suffering began to reveal to me the suffering of others. Oddly, at that time, I felt more loved and more loving. So maybe there is no plan, no plan that our little three-pound human brain can conceptualize anyway, but there are possibilities, infinite possibilities. And there are really two points to this talk. The first one is, much like Kate was saying, there's the possibility for love going out, for feeling love, for extending ourselves to others, for mirroring back to others God's divine love that we feel for ourselves. And you know our pandemic possibilities. They are a phone call, a text, an email, an old-timey letter, a FaceTime, a virtual visit, a Zoom call, or maybe beautifully, a prayer. And the second point of tonight's visit is that there is always the possibility also for love coming this direction, for more self-love and more self-care at this time. And I tell you, this is really so incredibly important because your body temple, your stomach and your lungs and your joints, they are all eavesdropping on your mind. That divine intelligence that's present in every cell, tissue, and fiber of our being, those are always listening to the self-talk we're delivering to ourselves. What does your self-talk sound like? Is it nice and is it kind? Is it the kind of talk you would use with a beloved pet or a partner or a child or a grandchild? I hope so. The famous social science researcher, Brene Brown, advises us not to do this. I am such a dummy! No, instead say, 
I did a dumb thing, but I am still lovable and worthy of love. Shall we say it together right where you are? I am lovable and worthy of love. So I can really relate to Kate's journey. It was six and a half years ago when I cried out, I need a miracle, like Jennifer sang in that song. Oddly enough, I felt fine. I was playing really good tennis, and physically, I felt fine. But I had this lymph node at my left collarbone that just kept growing and growing. So I went in for scans and tests and biopsies, and the result came back, and I was told I had a rare form of lung cancer, a rare form that kills 75% of its victims in the first year, and 95% of the people afflicted with it by the end of the fifth year. So just a survival rate of only 5%. One of my first thoughts at that time was about my infant grandson. Would I live to even see him go to kindergarten? So I cried. I cried buckets. I cried a lot. And I screamed and I raged also. I made my last five wishes and shared that with my husband, my son, and my daughter. And then I started researching, kind of true to form, to who I am. And I read everything I could, everything I could get my hands on, on advanced, metastatic, inoperable, incurable, stage four lung cancer with tumors spread to the brain. It was bleak, really bleak, and I was getting depressed. So to counteract those sad, sad feelings, I started reading the works of our spiritual founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes. And why not? He was a pretty happy guy. He loved his wife, Hazel. He loved rich food. And I hear he even loved a good cigar now and then. And I love what he says on this topic. His idea is that there is no precedence, only possibility. There is no precedent. It doesn't matter if it's ever happened before. It could happen now. It could be a miracle. It could be miraculous. And you know, I don't really think miracles are all that unusual. I love that Jennifer and her daughter wrote a song about them. A miracle is generally defined to be an unusual or highly unlikely or extraordinary event that brings with it very welcome circumstances. <laughs> well, bring those circumstances, right? You're probably hoping for some of those in one area of your life, be it physical or emotional or mental, or spiritual. They're available. When in all of that turbulent up and down time, I came to believe, as Kate did, I came to believe ever more strongly in the power of loving, 
and loving yourself. And I came to believe so fervently in the findings of the 75-year-long Harvard study. It's the longest longitudinal study ever done. And the key finding of it is just eight words. And they are, a good life is built on good relationships. Yes, it just makes sense, doesn't it? And so good relationships, loving relationships with yourself and with others. And the more I live life, I think maybe there is no set plan. Nothing set in stone. There are just unlimited possibilities available to us, made possible by the generosity, the creativity of the divine. Another writer who speaks and writes a lot about possibilities is Dr. Bruce Lipton. I believe we have a picture of him too. He always reminds me of a wise and kindly grandfather. Well, he teaches that even our genes, our genetic blueprint, the 23 we got from mom and the 23 we got from dad, even those are not set in stone, no. They are more like a dimmer switch, dimmer to brighter lighting switch on the wall of your home. In certain settings, genes do one thing, and in other settings, they express in a completely different way. When you think about it, a caterpillar and a butterfly have the same genes. It's just that in one expression of the genes, they have a lot of little legs. And then in another expression of their genes, they have those beautiful, miraculous butterfly wings. So this is what Dr. Bruce says in his book, The Biology of Belief, How to Unleash the Possibility of Consciousness, Matter, and Miracles. He shares that the moment, the moment, you change your idea of what is possible is the moment you rewrite the chemistry of your body. Why? How? You already know how. It's the eavesdropping thing. Your body temple is always eavesdropping on your mind. So our beloved Dr. Roger Teal was right about this. Thoughts do thicken into things, and Ernest Holmes was right about this. You are a conscious co-creator of your life, just as Dr. Barry said tonight in our conversation, and that changing your thinking does change your life. Is there a change you're desiring? Well, how do we do it? How do we turn that dial from bleak to beautiful? and from miserable to miraculous. Well, at least two amazing, beautiful ways are possible for us. And the first one comes to us from Oprah Winfrey. And Oprah says, in any given situation, always choose the most positive thought you have available to you. So we'll just keep with my example. If someone says to you, you have only a 5%
chance of being here in five years, you can think, hmm, so someone gets to live five years, why not me? As we discussed earlier, I hope I'm lovable and worthy of love, so in any given situation, pick the most positive thought available to you. And secondly, see your heart's desire, see what it is that you're desiring as already done, complete, and present in your life. And so for me, I see my little grandson, and now his sister, my granddaughter, as finishing third grade, and junior high, and high school. I picture it, I feel it, I see it, I sense it, and my body goes along with the plan, I hope. So far, so good. So, I'm going to leave you with this. It's the best part, really, the best part. Do you know how much of you will be dead by this time tomorrow evening? 2%. But that means you get to co-create a brand new 2% of you. Isn't that wonderful? So I think there is no set-in-stone plan for this, only possibility no immovable plan for you, just limitless possibilities for you. So pick your possibility lovingly. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, please visit us at milehighchurch.org. Have a fabulous day.